Hi everyone, I'm Terrellon. Welcome to Time Out with Tinseltown Mom. I'm here today with speech language pathologist and board certified behavior analyst, Rose Griffin. Rose is devoted to helping experts provide systematic language instruction with ease. Today, we're gonna talk about how to help kids improve their speech and communication at home and at school. Hi, Rose, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. I'm excited to chat with you as well. So why don't we just start by you just giving us a little bit more insight into who you are. Absolutely. So I'm a speech therapist and I also have another certification called board certified behavior analyst. And I help autistic learners start communicating. I help them increase their communication skills. And then I do have my own private practice where I see some clients in my hometown here for speech sound disorders. And uh, prior to starting my own business at ABA Speech, I was a school-based SLP, speech therapist, for 20 years. So I just decided to step away just a couple months ago to work on my own business. And we have a podcast called Autism Outreach. And I have courses that offered um, information on helping autistic learners and we sell products as well. And then I have three kids of my own. So, you know, very, very busy. Oh, wow. Nice. What exactly is a behavior analyst? Like what is that job? Yeah. So a behavior analyst, we do a lot of things, but in the field of autism, we can help analyze what is going to help an autistic learner, whether it's, it's not just communication. That's the area I focus on. But if you have an autistic child and maybe they have some behavioral barriers and they're not able to access school or they're having a hard time or they're overloaded with sensory issues, you know, a behavior analyst can say, oh, these are some things that might help out or with sleep, you know, sleep is really hard for a lot of autistic students and uh, toilet training and things like that. So we do a lot of things, but I focus on that area of communication in autism. Okay, nice. So today we're going to talk about how to improve speech and overall communication with kids. And I want to include tweens and teens in that, hopefully. (laughs) Uh, But first, can you just explain, like, are those words interchangeable, speech and communication? Like, should we be using those at the, you know, synonymously, I guess? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So in our field, you know, we talk about speech and language. So speech would be things like our speech sounds, how we're using our articulators, our mouth, our tongue, our lips to make speech sounds, our breath, our intonation, all of those types of things. And then language might be, can a student construct a grammatically correct sentence? Can a student retell a story? I know a lot of parents that I work with are concerned or they're not concerned about their students' speech sounds. You know, there's definitely a difference between, you know, if your child has an R, trouble with the R sound, they probably would not qualify for school-based services because there's, it might not be affecting their performance in school. And that's where private therapy is nice. So sometimes parents don't realize those things. They think, oh, well, if there was a problem with my son or daughter's speech sounds or something related to communication, the school would alert me. But there's definitely a difference in how you qualify for services in a public school because we serve so many in a public school versus a private practice. Okay. So should we use them differently today for the purposes? I think it's, I think it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so just in general, I guess from your expertise for, I mean, some people may have their own theories, but why do you think it's important for kids to have good speech and or communication just in general? 
Absolutely. Well, I think just over the lifespan, you know, the past 10 years, I've specialized in working with students in middle school and high school. So I definitely see across the lifespan how it's so important that every person is able to communicate effectively. And that's going to mean something different for every single person. But, you know, for employment, you want to, you don't want your communication skills to be a barrier for employment. I mean, even thinking about COVID and the pandemic and how a lot of people are working from home and maybe not even interacting as much with other people, that kind of, you know, that social language and how we communicate with others. Some people might have some, I mean, I know some people in my own life that have some social anxiety that they probably didn't have prior to COVID because, they're just not in the community as much, or maybe their job has shifted to working from home. And so there's a lot of different things that have gone on with the pandemic. But I think just what's so important is that everybody feels comfortable with how they're communicating. And, you know, even if you're an adult, you know, you may have, maybe you have a speech sound that you never got therapy for and it bothers you. Or, you know, I had a mom, um, she was from, another country. I think she was from China and her kids, I saw them for speech therapy and they were working on the R sound and a couple other things. And she, after they had graduated, which was exciting, she said, Rose, I think I want to see you myself because in her native language, she didn't have certain sounds that we have here. And so she felt a little self-conscious about her speech. Now she never did sign up for speech therapy and that's fine. She's about my age. She's in her forties. So, um, but sometimes, you know, it's just, there's not sounds in other languages that we have. So whether you're listening and you're thinking about your child or your own self, you can always contact a private speech therapist. If it's something that you work on, want to work on just to feel more confident in your everyday life. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I feel like adults, I mean, there's things that I would like to improve upon, I'm sure other adults as far as their speech articulation, Mm -hmm. especially with public speaking or just speaking with their Mm -hmm. kids. It's good that you mentioned that. It's not just for kids, really, even though these tips will primarily be focused on them. Mm -hmm. But adults, I'm sure, can, you know, glean information. Absolutely. Let's say there's a mom listening. She has young children. Like Mm -hmm. what are some just like basic practical steps she can take just to make sure she's fostering good habits as far as whether it's speech or just communication Mm -hmm. in general? Like, are there any practical things you can think of? Yeah, I love that. For very early learners, little ones, just trying to narrate your day, talk about what you're doing across the day because kids are taking in all that information having your kids help you. Sometimes it takes a lot longer, but you know, they want to help with laundry, letting them help with laundry or cooking or, you know, my own kids, they're a little bit older now, but they like to help with all those things, right? It it tacks on about 15 minutes, but those are all really good to have them encompass because there's so much communication that comes from these everyday activities. And then the other thing to think about is just making sure that you are incorporating reading. So my kids are older. My youngest is seven now. So, you know, we try to, I try to read some books with him or he'll read a book to me. Like this week, he got a book from the library about World War II, which is not any area of interest of mine. So I was just kind of reading the headings to him, but you know, sometimes he's reading on his own. Sometimes we're reading together. And I'm not saying that we're doing this every day, but that's the goal is that we just try to embed it. You know, hey, we have a 20 minute ride to soccer, like grab a book. These are things that I say, you know, and especially when my kids were younger, when I was putting them to bed and they had a more structured bedtime routine, just making sure that you're trying to read a book. And, you know, oftentimes kids have a favorite book and, you know, you can memorize it and and you don't have to read the book word for word. That's the other thing. I would watch my husband do nighttime and he would he would read a word for word. And then the kids were like bored out of their minds. I'm like, no, 
It's not how you do that. Okay. We just paraphrase. Um, so you make it just that moment of shared engagement with your child. And those are just great bonding moments and great for communication. Yeah. So yeah, I always thought that reading out loud was so important for kids. Like, do you think that's good for speech development and communication, like with articulation? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it can help kids feel more confident. Absolutely. And give them good practice. I mean, anytime I'm doing something and I have more opportunities to practice, then I feel a lot better doing it. So I think it's just that comfort level. Right. Can you think of anything different for tweens or teens as far as like fostering good communication? Yeah. You know what I did with with my daughter? I mean, I drive her to soccer. I was just watching some kind of video on Facebook and it was like, well, why do we do like travel sports? It's like so expensive and so much time. But, you know, it is a nice bonding time with your kids. So, you know, just as a way to communicate, keeping the lines of communication open with older students, I think is really important. And just trying to foster their self-confidence because my daughter just started middle school. So I'm transporting myself back to middle school years and you're just shy and, you know, you have a lot to share. You definitely have opinions about things at that age. And I just try to make sure that I am supporting her so she feels confident in sharing those ideas in the academic environment too. Yeah, no, that's so important. So so speaking of that, let's say in the academic environment, the kids are at school. We'll start with younger kids again. Like what are some yeah. tips that us parents can give them when they're starting school? And we just want to make sure they're communicating, like even meeting new friends. Like do you have any mm-hmm. tips as far as that is concerned? I do always ask my kids, you know, how is reset? Because I, I do think that if your child has any kind of communication delay or any type of support needs with social skills, you know, the the areas where you're going, the kids will will really struggle are things like lunch and recess. So, you know, I always ask my kids, like, who did you sit with at lunch today? How was recess? Because that really is a hard time for a lot of kids. So if you're, if your child is struggling with those types of things, I think having a plan, you know, sometimes kids, you know, especially autistic students, they might get out to recess and that might be a time that they don't want to talk to anybody, that they might just want to be by themselves, which, you know, we as providers need to say, okay, does this student want to have friends? And they feel like, they can't make them? Or does this student want to be by themselves? And so I think just analyzing that for your own child is important because you know how some people are. They like to have plans, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Other people are good with seeing people like once a month. So I think just from a social standpoint, it's good to kind of gauge that. And I think that's something to think about in the school environment. Yeah. Do you think role play is important? Like just role playing? Okay. If you want to meet a new friend, here's some ideas. Like, do you have any ideas as far as that's concerned? Yeah, no, that's a great idea. You can definitely prime your kid and prep them and practice things like that. If that is something that would be important for them. You know, sometimes if my kids are going to do something, we may practice it ahead of time. Um, my kids don't struggle with social skills. So, but just other things, you know, I try to prep them on things, but I think anytime you can practice and just discuss it and it all goes back to having that ongoing communication with your child. I think that's a really great idea. Yeah. And I know there's a big population of kids, neurotypical kids who stutter. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've seen that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you have any um, ideas on why that happens for some kids. And I'm talking yeah. about neurotypical kids. You know what I mean? Oh, oh, for neurotypical. Well, you know, they yeah. do say, yeah. So, you know, I did work with some students who stutter in my career in the public schools. And, you know, they, some stuttering is actually completely normal, is typical. You know, some stuttering, we all stutter sometimes, right? I taped two of my own podcasts earlier today and, you know, I was like, oh, gotta, 
take two, you know, but, um, so some of that is completely normal. Um, I would just gauge, you know, if you're worried about your child, just kind of analyzing, like, is it happening at certain times? Are they saying anything about it? Are they feeling frustrated? But, you know, some students who stutter that, you know, we work on some of stuttering strategies to kind of help them get their communication, communication message going. But then also a big part of stuttering is talking about is more of a counseling component that, you know, yeah, you stutter, but, it doesn't define who you are, you know, just like autism. Autism is not an illness. It's one piece of who you are. It doesn't define who you are. So, you know, if your student is struggling or your own child is struggling with that, I would just kind of like perk your ear up and be like, is this happening all the time? And, you know, talk with your child about it. It doesn't want to, you don't want it to be something that is embarrassing or, you know, I think if you keep the communication going with your child, that, that that's important. And then if your child's school age, you know, bring it up to the school-based SLP because they might qualify for services and it may be affecting them in the school environment. Right. So for the kids, maybe they don't need therapy, but maybe they do it occasionally. Like, are there any like exercises, maybe breathing exercises or tips that parents could utilize to help them? Yeah. I mean, if the child is feeling anxious, I would maybe get to the root of it. You know, if you think of it, it's something that goes deeper than like the actual speech movements, I would try to just understand why it's taking place. And so that's kind of like my little data brain perks up. And so I, as the parent would kind of just jot down when you're hearing it, talk with the child about it. You know, if it's not bothering your child and you don't see it as a barrier to them in school, then I probably would just kind of let it be. That's, that's just my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, can you think of any other speech impairments that can hinder a child from developing good communication skills? Maybe a parent hasn't even thought about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, now with, you know, I go back to COVID, but so many people are dealing with mental health disorders that another one that I have seen more students dealing with is selective mutism. Um, which is believed to be related to anxiety. Um, oftentimes, a speech therapist will be on the team. And so it's a student. I actually just started seeing a new student who is school age and they talk at home. They don't talk at school and um, they've been diagnosed with selective mutism. And so that is kind of a team approach. So um, just something to think about, you know, or sometimes students will just talk in a whisper at school. And they don't talk if there's more people or if there's an unfamiliar person. So some things just to kind of think about just with all the different mental health issues that have been taking place prior, you know, with with the pandemic. Yeah. Do you think um, technology overuse of technology plays a part in just lack a lack of speech quality mm -hmm. or communication? Like, do you think that hinders? I mean, yeah, I do find even just, you know, I was at a party, this was a while ago, but I could see this person, everybody kind of left his table that he was at. This is like a very normal, you know, adult male and no communication difficulties. And I could see like, it was like clockwork. It was like everybody left the table just for different reasons. And then I could see him get his phone out. It, I'm not saying technology is the worst. I'm always trying to put myself on a phone plan where I'm not checking my phone all the time. I didn't do good this week, you know, but, you know, I could just see because sometimes I feel like we can't be alone or we don't talk to people in real life as much. Mm -hmm. I, I really see that with younger people, too. So I, I just think that's a byproduct of technology. But I do think there's a lot of people out there who are talking about slower living and not being on your phone and not checking it first thing and having conversations in real life. And I think you know, with our kids, we can't say no tech, but we just have to be responsible. And then also 
model that same behavior as home. Like we never have iPads in the car. We never have technology at the dinner table. And those things are really important for our family. So I think that as long as you have some of those boundaries and parameters, you don't want technology to seem taboo because then kids may want it more. Um, but just, I think that when we communicate more, we have more opportunities, we feel more comfortable doing so. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that's great for adults and kids, actually. Mm -hmm. I think people do use their device as a comfort so oh, like, yeah. yeah, just like you mentioned, like, let's say the kids are at school, there's no one around during lunch, they go straight mm -hmm. to their phone, just because they have some sort of comfort level, right in that like, <laughs> yes. you think it's good to just sit if you sit in that alone time, as opposed <laughs> to get on the phone? Like, do you think that's helpful? Yeah. I mean, I do, you know, or if you're in line at Starbucks and you didn't order ahead, or I am very obsessed with Starbucks, you know, you can see people, they can't just be like back in the old day, like when my parents were like, girl, you know, like my age, they probably talk to strangers in public, but we just don't do that anymore. I mean, if you were at the store, like after you hear this podcast and you see people actually in a line, I would say out of 10 people, how many people are actually going to be on their phone versus just kind of being in the moment and just kind of being people can't just be anymore, but that's just my thought. You know, I try oh, to no, mentally yeah. not be on the phone. Yeah. As much. Yeah, no, that's important. I mean, I, I think that that's a good strategy to tell our kids. Like if you're at mm -hmm. school at the lunch line, you can have your phone. Just practice not being on the phone and maybe just being comfortable in your environment. Maybe you could catch someone's uh, eye and talk right. to them or, you know, something right. other than technology. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, what, what do you think about filler words that kids use? Like, um, like, I mean, I'm sure we could think of other filler words. Like, do you think it's important to teach them, you know, maybe to avoid filler words when they're speaking in public? Yeah. I mean, I, I think most people use them. Mm -hmm. I do. I think, you know, right now I'm actually in this speech mastermind where I'm learning from this person that gets paid to keynote and is a really good speaker and has worked with NFL players and business executives and all of these things. And he just says the bar is really low for public speaking because mm -hmm. nobody ever really works on it. So I don't think that's something I would even work on unless your child is in something that's like speech club or debate club. And I'm sure that's something they would be learning in their curriculum and kind of analyzing how they're doing. So I wouldn't even address that really with my own kids. Okay. Now, did you say you had teens as well? I have a 12 year old. That's my oldest child. Okay. Yes. Sixth grade. Mm -hmm. So that's close to a teen. Yeah. Like how would you yeah. advise parents? Let's say they want to communicate more with their tween or teen. But, you know, let's say they get in the car. And, how was your day? Oh, good. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> you know, you know how that goes. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I do. You know, I, I, a couple of things, you know. So, I mean, my daughter's like kind of phased out of it. The younger ones, we had like started a family TikTok in March of 2020. And so that was kind of fun, like a shared activity that's kind of hip. Like we would, it was a private account and we would do family dances. Now my 12 year old thinks that's kind of like corny, although she'll do some on my, I have one for ABA speech. So that's kind of fun. It seems kind of simplistic, but it, you know, TikTok, there's always something different. Sometimes what's been happening with the songs, um, there's trending songs, like it almost changes every week. Some of the songs have been songs that were popular when I, like 20 years ago, and now kids know them. I'm like, this was my song like a really long time ago. How do you know this? Um, so something simple like that. Another thing that I did is I went to Barnes and Nobles. I think I had a gift card or something and I bought a mommy and me journal 
And we did it more in the summer, but it has a page and it asks questions like about mom should answer and that the kids should answer. But they also have that for dads too and grandparents. So, you know, sometimes a journal, like I grew up and um, my best friend was in her sister were raised by the dad. He was like the primary guardian and they had a little journal just on their like breakfast table and they would just like write stuff back to each other. It doesn't have to be verbal communication. It can just be any old way that you're touching base. Oh, I love that, those ideas. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, what, what would you say to, let's say it's the how was your day question. Do you have mm-hmm. any tips for that one where parents are trying to elicit information and they're asking 20 questions and the child <laughs> is just like, okay, you know, that's enough with the questions. Like, do you have any tips yeah. as just to get more engagement in that area? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If your child doesn't answer open-ended questions, this is something we do in speech therapy too. So if I ask a child a question like, oh, how was your day? And it's crickets, there's no answers. Then I would go and say, you know, did you, how did you enjoy science or social studies today? What was a better lesson? I would go back to choices. So it's kind of a hierarchy. If open-ended is not going to work because your child doesn't feel like talking about that, then I would give them a question that you're already giving them the answers. So they don't even have to think that much about it. They could just say, oh, social studies. And then maybe that'll get the conversation going. So giving an, giving people choices is a little bit easier to answer than something that's more broad and open, open-ended. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, can you think of any exercises that parents can practice with their kids, whether they're toddlers, elementary, or even tweens or teens, if they'll do them, just mm-hmm. as far as like improving their overall speech and communication? Yeah, I think reading aloud is really fun, you know, just tying it into like an everyday routine, you know, so reading with your child when they're younger, um, with my older daughter, she does talk to me some, you know, she's not like completely immersed, you know, if you're on a long car ride and you're like, let's say we're on a family car ride. My husband does typically drive. That's kind of how we do things. Um, I'm there, you know, trying to maybe not be on my phone the whole time, maybe engaging with the kids. Sometimes my kids will play now, not all the time, but there's a, a game that's, Oh, I went to the I do it in therapy. I went to the grocery store and I bought apples, bananas, carrots, but sometimes my kids want to do it and we want to name restaurants or we want to name states or we want to name clothing stores. So it doesn't have to be anything that's super planned. It could be something just as easy as that where everybody's taking a turn. It's a nice little family activity. And then you can go back to just kind of chilling out. (laughs) Okay. So there's no breathing exercises or anything like that, that you think can like help. No, nothing that I do. Nah, I wouldn't suggest anything. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can you think of any other tips that might be helpful for parents just to, you know, whether speech, you know, articulation or just communication? Yeah. I would just say, you know, if your child is not yet talking and they're young, that you should say something to your pediatrician. Don't go for the let's wait and see method because there's so much research that says early intervention, meaning as soon as you see that your child needs support, you know, whether they have autism or, you know, sometimes people are late talkers and you talk to your family and they're like, oh, your dad didn't talk till they were five. Don't worry about it. Don't listen to that. Follow your gut. You can get early intervention. Once your child is about to turn three, you contact your local school district for free. You can get an evaluation, a comprehensive evaluation. And then you'll see, like, does my child need therapy? Would my child benefit from this? And then if your child doesn't qualify for therapy, but maybe your child is having trouble with the R sound or the S sound and they're in fifth grade or 
middle school or high school, and it's something that they want to work on, you could always at any time you can contact a private speech therapist. Now, your insurance may not cover it. So you might have to find somebody who takes private pay, which might be more expensive. But what's nice about working with a speech therapist that way, it's one on one. You can get homework and exercises and things to do. And your your therapy duration should be shorter because you're just able to have that one on one time with the speech therapist, talk with them and then practice, practice, practice if it's a speech sound and you should see that that speech sound is improving. Okay. Yeah, that's good. And that's the same for tweens or teens as well. Absolutely. Anybody. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. okay. Is there anything else that you think we didn't cover that may be helpful for parents? No, I mean, I think that's everything. And then if you do have a child with autism there, you know, the diagnosis is now one in 44 individuals, or if you have a loved one, make sure that you visit our website, abaspeech.org. I have my podcast, Autism Outreach, and we share great information every single Tuesday, a new episode drops all about autism and communication. And then I have a course called Start Communicating Today, which is for younger students. So a really nice course for parents. Sometimes what happens is you get that autism diagnosis and then maybe you're on a wait list for speech therapy services. And so this course called Start Communicating Today can give you information that you can start doing now in the home to get started with communication. Thanks for listening to Time Out with Tinseltown Mom. If you liked what you heard today, please be so kind and rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Because when you do that, you get this podcast in front of more listeners. And I want to offer more encouragement to a wider audience. So any positive reviews that you can give would be so helpful. Until next time.